Hello and welcome to Politics in the Pulpit. This is a lectionary-based preaching resource designed to ask the provocative question of whether and how politics should appear in our preaching this week. My name is Beth Alison Glenny. I'm the Baptist Union of Great Britain's Public Issues Enabler and I work with the Joint Public Issues team. Each week I am joined by a guest from a different place and space on the political or preaching landscape and today I'm very pleased to introduce Selena Stone who is tutor and lecturer in political theology at St Melitus College. Welcome Selena. Hi, Thank ben. you so much for joining us today. Um, politics in the pulpit, um, I, I wonder what does that mean for you? Could you tell us a little bit about yourself, your context and introduce some of that thinking in your life? Sure, um, I mean for me I think I, I got into theology because I was I kind of grew up in a space where there were lots of big questions for me that were both political and theological. Mm -hmm. So I didn't really know I was doing political theology when I was like 14 and 15, when I was asking how we had so many churches in our community. Uh, I grew up in Handsworth in Birmingham, and yet there was so little happening in our community that felt transformative. So I was asking kind of big questions like that and ended up doing theology academically after I'd done my initial degree and um, that's what's led me to where I am. So for me, there isn't any kind of theology that isn't political, at least in that has something to say to why the issues of our human experience and the big questions about inequality and justice and how we relate to one another. I think the beauty of the gospel is that it speaks into all of those big questions. So I love the idea of politics in the pulpit not in the way that we can see it, where you have like, you know, a political party's flag or the, uh, the face of a particular political leader behind the pulpit. That's definitely not what I mean. Um, <laughs> but I think engaging with the themes of our political life, I think is essential to what the good news of Jesus is all about. Yeah. I was thinking, do I controversially bring up a particular Good Friday image? <laughs> Very grateful. I think happened. we all know what you mean. <laughs> Very grateful that happened on the week I was off. <laughs> um, is there any particular um, justice or political issue that's going on in the world at the moment that you think is um, something that if, if you were preaching, I don't know if you are preaching this week, but if you're preaching this week, there would be kind of something that would be informing listen you'd be listening to um is there something like that going on for you mm. I mean I think I find it hard to to kind of read the news or watch the news without having this constant question if, if I was preaching what would I say about this which is partly because I, I love preaching I don't get to do it as much as I do lecturing but I think that for me I mean there were so many questions at the moment to be dealt with and I think the big question of emerging back into life socially now that lockdown's being eased you know what does that mean for us in terms of how we've been rethinking about how we are in the world as individuals and as, as churches as believers how do we enter back into social life now that this has happened what differences has this year made to us you know there's been so much thinking and rethinking and talking and re-talking about covid and theologies of covid and all of that stuff which kind of is something we do because we think we should, but then what difference is that really gonna make now that we're going back into life in, in, in public ways? So I'm quite interested in all of that stuff and particularly how many more people we have in debt on benefits, living in poverty or you know on the poverty line because of COVID, redundancies, loss of jobs, 
these I think are some of the big questions for us to be wrestling with how do we go back into life and reshape life in in small and larger ways now that our country has been so inevitably shaped by COVID-19 um, so I think that's that's I think at the forefront of my mind as well as you know wider issues around race disparities in general the report that came out denying institutional racism you know what do we do with all of that information now how do we go forward with everything we learned last year with George Floyd's murder you know all these kind of contentious issues around race and difference yeah. what does that mean for how we live life now and where are we going to be attentive to how we are living as disciples of Jesus so just a few small things Beth <laughs> nothing nothing to <laughs> <laughs> we'll sort those out in a in a 20 minute yeah, slot. Yeah, I, think so, I, think so. <laughs> I mean, I yeah, I every week um I, I kind of touch base with my JPIC colleagues to um ask them kind of from a kind of policy view and from a kind of their reading of the news what they would what they would be flagging as kind of wanting their church leaders and their preachers and to hear. And absolutely, um I think these are these are the conversations we've been having uh and and it's about saying how do we how do we create a world that flourishes you know covid has exposed in a particular way um the inequality and then it is um enhanced some of those inequalities as well around debt and we've worked really hard with the reset the debt campaign mm -hmm. um and um and i think as for us as this is these are core core justice issues that um particular communities have been affected by covid in a particular way and there is a huge racial disparity in that as well as well as all of the all of the stuff around that george floyd has really kind of brought to people's attention um obviously that trial is going on at the moment um yeah. I, I keep trying not to call it the george floyd trial because it makes it sound like he was on trial but i think realistically there is something isn't there about um i think it feels like that's what they're trying to make it maybe it's me being suspicious but it feels like actually um you know that there's something going on there that's I think significant in American politics which then will impact our our own world as well here yeah. in the UK um uh yeah there's um I've got, we've also been we've been thinking a lot as well about um uh the fact that it's going to be elections on the 6th of May yes um, so we've got um highlighting that there's um shape it resources to help with that um for anybody who's um thinking about those um we've also got um a lot of work responding to the government's new plan for immigration which is currently open for consultation it's a really really good briefing paper on the um uh, on the immigration rules and 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 how um uh, how we might view them as perhaps lacking sometimes in some of the compassion that we would hope that they mm. have. Um, but there is a good, really good briefing and available by JPIT um, as well. So I'm just flagging up some some home things. But um, I'm just really aware that the kind of um, there's there's a lot of other stuff going on. There's um, UK has agreed to speed up its climate target. Um, Thursday is World Earth Day if you feel like you'd want to connect those two things together. In India, there's been, obviously, there's this huge wave of COVID. Um, uh, and then um, there's some stuff going on with the sports that, <laughs> that my husband seems to think is very important. <laughs> and I have to say, I'm not your woman for. But um, but but actually says something about power and capitalism yes, and as yes. we actually unpack um going, you know, going forward, you know, when football makes, um, makes the House of Commons, then you, 
there, there is clear this is clearly a new story yeah. that is dominating a cycle as well so there's there's a lot going on in the world it feels like there's a lot going on in the world perhaps because we are opening back up into the world in a, in a new way you know we're just allowed to see our friends again and um starting maybe to meet as churches again and I think that maybe there's there's something about kind of feeling uh kind of exposed to some of those stories in a particular way pastorally as well as politically mm. yeah so we've um got all this stuff going on in the world um <laughs> we're obviously going to sort out in a uh you know <laughs> 10 to 10 to 40 minute slot on a Sunday morning um so we, we've got this down um I wonder um, then if we look at our Bible passages, we've got um, our Easter readings still and we're continuing in the season of Easter and we've got um, Acts 4, which is a story which is Peter's answer to the high priests um, as a prisoner. We've got um, 1 John 3, uh, which is all about um, laying down the life, of the, you know, the laying down of the life of the shepherd imagery and kind of not loving just in word or speech, but in action and truth. And then we've got John 10, um, a snippet of that which is all about the good shepherd again laying down the life of their sheep and um so we've got we've got these going on uh I wonder if there is a particular text a particular theme that would jump out for you that you would be like this is this would be this for me this week if I... mm. it was really great reading through them all and reflecting on them and then finding common threads because I think my general sense about all of the readings was they all deal with this question of power and particularly the power of Jesus mm. and but not in the way that we might think about power and this of course is one of the beautiful things about Jesus is that Jesus modeled power in a way that is very distinct from what we're used to in the world so you know Jesus' own words are you know the leaders of the Gentiles lord it over those that they lead but if you want to be like me you should be a servant if you want to be good and the greatest you should be a servant mm. Jesus models this all the time and I think what's really interesting about the Acts reading is this kind of clash that goes on between the religious leaders the teachers of the law the rulers and the elders who I think in their own minds think that they are responsible for holding power they think that it's their role to control and to dominate to decide who's in and who's out to decide where the work of God is what we should recognize as good and the work of the spirit and to exclude anything that falls outside of their understanding as being ungodly or something to be quelled yeah and so peter's words really are kind of asserting the power of jesus as the ultimate power which which contradicts with the ruler's understanding of who's really, whose power really matters mm. and of course jesus doesn't do this in a kind of dominating and coercive way he, he goes about his life in ways that might seem quite um, unstrategic if we measured it by our understandings of, you know, strategic leadership. You know, you choose the best team possible. You have a very, you know, you get in with the powerful people and you, you make sure that you have the position of power and dominance and that's how you bring about change. And Jesus' approach is not strategic according to how we might judge him. He chooses these 12 people, some of whom are, you know, a ragtag bunch. One of whom particularly is definitely not on board with the vision. <laughs> and, you know, betrays him in the end. This is not how we're, we're trained to choose teams. And yet this is the way Jesus chooses his disciples and enacts his work in the world. And so it's really interesting here to see Peter saying, it's in Jesus's name that we're doing these things and asserting the power and authority of Jesus. 
against what the rule teachers of the law imagine the work of God to be about. So it, it kind of speaks very much to the way Jesus destabilizes our imaginations about power mm. and any temptation that we might have as religious people. Because um, I often think, you know, we kind of see the Pharisees as this other type of person. It's like if we're in the church and we, we think we know what God's about, then we're more likely to be the Pharisees than anyone else. We, that's our big temptation is to think that we can define who belongs and who doesn't belong and who's living correctly and who's not living correctly according to our religious values and norms. Mm-hmm. And this, I think, is a great temptation that many of us face as, as believers in Jesus. And, um, and what Peter says is just like Jesus is the one who saves. That's it. It's yeah. not by living according to all these rules. So it kind of it blows open our understanding of, of, of you know, of faith and, and, and inclusion, I think. And, and these are big power questions for me. I think, um, yeah, I'm really struck that they kind of, yeah, this, this, this phrase, the rulers, elders and scribes, and then, and then um, Peter repeats it, doesn't he? He says, rulers of the people and elders. Like that, um, he's kind of making this point that you, you are the, you are the ones with the power here. And, and it re- like the, the society at the time, they really were, you know, they were the, the, the mm. top end of the top. There was such a gap then um, for the kind of collective others. But these were the people who were in power with the Romans, who were, yes. you know, um, Luke acts as making the point that this is actually, these are the people who were part of the crucifixion in quite a particular way mm-hmm. um and they use their power for, in this negative way and and here is peter imprisoned because he's just used power the power of jesus to heal somebody mm-hmm. um, and and there's this crowd of five thousand men and and you can see people getting nervous and they're kind of yes. sense again of the kind of potential rioting and um i think um sort of opens up for me some really interesting political questions about kind of um imprisonment really actually and kind of because they get imprisoned for this and I think we in the west um perhaps comfortable with the idea that we we're like the religious elite we won't get imprisoned but we might want to stop other people getting us Mm. into some hot water um and and actually kind of um yeah I I don't know I was just really reflecting about kind of well it's a really interesting question about what what is what is the right way of, of preaching? You know, should I expect preaching the gospel to actually land me into political difficulty? And I think, um, yeah, we're so I'm so used to not having that here. Mm. It kind of raised this fascinating question. Yes. Am I doing it right if I'm not? Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And I think it's a really interesting point about the kind of impact that preaching the gospel should have, because sometimes there's always a temptation to make it really popular and attractive to, to, to everybody. Um, and then you have those people who think, oh yeah, the gospel should be offensive, but what they were doing is offending people who are already marginalized, <laughs> already on the edge, already <laughs> excluded. And that's not the kind of offense that the gospel is really about because in the kingdom, Jesus talks about the first, the last and the last, the first. So the gospel is a kind of further entrenching marginalization and exclusion. But it's kind of like if, if the people who have power and the people who enjoy privilege are offended by the gospel that you're preaching, then you're probably on the right track. If the people who love the status quo, who feel comfortable and self-righteous, who think that they're in because of their own good works and who they are, are wanting to silence you, then you're probably on the on the same track Jesus was. Of course, there's random reasons why people do that, but I think the gospel should be offensive to particular groups of people, not to people who are already fighting for the right to be and to exist. Yeah. Yeah, 
I am um, struck by this Willie James Jennings quote from the commentary on Acts and he says uh, real preaching and authentic teaching is inextricably bound to real criminality. Christians of the modern West have never really grasped our deep connection to the criminal criminal mind, our mind. We should always understand ourselves as what Edward Said called secular critics who unrelentingly call into question the gods of this age, that is the prevailing social, cultural, political, economic and academic logics that support or are at ease with the status quo of grotesquely differentiated wealth and poverty, and even access to the necessary resources for life and health, and forms of sublimely stubborn oppression masked inside social conventions. Mm. I mean, it's a big quote, but it's just, um, I was just thought, blimey, I'm gonna have to think about that all week, that this is just, um, yeah, this idea that it's almost, you know, we're on the side of criminality, that we meet Jesus in the prisoner, that actually that's, that's, you know, where, where is God in our Mm. world there? And, um, and yeah, just um, really struck, I was really struck by that. Um, We've got, um, we've we've talked a bit about Acts and we've got uh, the gospel as well. I know a lot of people kind of instinctively preach to the gospel. Um, Mm. I, um, I think at this point in the narrative of kind of the Easter tide, maybe we more instinctively preach the Acts, but I'm, I'm kind of really struck by some of the language of the shepherding actually as also being a bit about leadership um, mm. because the kind of kingly idea of kind of what was a king, who's God, God is a shepherd and not just any shepherd, a shepherd who, who lays down their life. And I think um, a good shepherd, you know, this is this where the noble, a genuine shepherd, not not like the hired hand yeah. <laughs> um, who runs away, the sign of risk of something happening. And I was mm. really struck by um, the kind of the connection there with the, the language of power again, the kind of yes. here's these powerful dynamics going on in Acts, but also this kind of conversation around what does power mean going on in, in John as well. Yeah. And I think I think I always, when I read these gospel passages, and I'll say this to my students a lot, sometimes we jump very quickly to ourselves being like Jesus the shepherd. And even that is an act of privilege to assume that we take the role of the shepherd in the story, like we're all sheep in the sheep pen. That's like the first, the first kind of level of interpretation of this is that we're all sheep Um, and Jesus is the shepherd. And so when I read this, I, I thought of myself and I have a bit of an active imagination so I imagine myself being a little sheep in the sheep pen. And um, and, and first of all, thinking, you know, am I the sheep in the sheep pen who is is watching Jesus bring in other sheep? Mm-hmm. And thinking, oh, I wonder what those sheep look like from the other sheep pen. And I'm getting into my sheep imagination here. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and how do I do, am I willing to make room for those other sheep? Or am I kind of thinking, oh, I don't really know if I like the look of these sheep. They maybe look a little bit aggressive. I don't really that I'm not familiar with these sheep. Do I want to make room for them? Do I want to, you know, implore the shepherd to just leave them in the field and not put them in the pen and all of that? Or am I the sheep that's being brought into a pen? Am I the kind of the sheep in the other pen who's being brought in? And am I feeling like I'm I'm kind of trying to find space, but I'm not really finding it because the other sheep are a little bit reluctant to have me there? And it, it kind of made me think about it in that sense. And again, the question of, you know, how do we, what kind of sheep are we in the pen? In, 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 and, and what might the good shepherd be wanting to do in the spaces where we are? And of course, you know, we then get to think about, you know, us as people who are following Jesus, the good shepherd, 
where we have the responsibility to shepherd, you know, what kind of approach do we take? But I, I kind of like to sit with us being the sheep a little bit first. I, um, I really yeah. love that. Yeah, no, absolutely. We, we do always think ourselves in shepherding space, especially I think those of us who are pastors automatically jump there because it's such an image of, of kind of pastoral care literally mm. you know and, and I think we kind of jump there I've um I've loved this book um I'm going to wave it on the screen but for those who are on the podcast um it's called Reading the Gospel of John Through Palestinian Eyes by Johanna Katanacho Katanako I'm not sure how to pronounce that um but um it's um it's this little tiny little commentary um a theological commentary really on um on reading the Gospel of John in this different way and he um it's just absolutely fantastic, absolutely fantastic uh, bit on John 10. Um, there's about three pages on John 10 in the middle. And um, and it's 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 made me see this whole passage completely differently because um, it explains the, the way the sheep pens were constructed, which I never knew before. Um, so often they, they were connected to a cave um, so that the sheep could go and shelter from the rain. Um, and then um, when it was sunny, there would be a kind of um, a court kind of area like an outside space where between um the cave and then the kind of the fence or the wall that would have been built and the wall would have been probably a rock wall and it would have thistles on it um and um they, that itself would have been grown to dissuade the wolves but if all else really failed um if it got really dry then they could um set it on fire so that they would just like stop the wolves getting in um to if they were trying to attack and and often these were shared like this was shared equipment it wasn't just like you you had this with your own flock of sheep it would be that you would be a shepherd with multiple or in our case i guess we were the sheep with Mm -hmm. multiple other shepherds and multiple other um flocks of sheep going on and um and so actually they would appoint somebody to be the guard or the gatekeeper overnight um and then um each morning you'd come and you'd call your own sheep out and they would know to go with you and you would wow. know your own sheep to be able to pick them back out again to take them for pasture. And I was just like, wow, I feel a bit mind blown by this, mm. this kind of imagery that comes with it, that that kind of physical landscaping. And 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 so um, uh, Katanako's point is really to kind of try and say some of this stuff around um, actually uh, there's a huge, huge connection here with the Old Testament that we miss um, if we're not really looking at this canonically about Ezekiel 33 and 34, mm. and kind of the role of the shepherd bringing them into the good land and the kind of the role of land and a good pasture and that kind of being quite a geographical political thing, I suppose. Um, but also the kind of idea of even of Jerusalem as well and kind of the idea that um, uh, there's something about uh, whether, you, you know, the idea that the, the walls would be like a... Um, uh, being on fire as a protection this mm. is a very pastoral image and we don't necessarily we maybe see that as a kind of a violent image but it's actually a pastoral image of kind of protecting yes. sheep and I just yeah it's it's just it's like three pages in the middle of that book and I mm. honestly if people are preaching on this passage it would be the thing I would say go go and read it because it's it for me I feel like it's completely shaped how yeah. I visualize that I mean you think about being, being a sheep in that space actually for me now it's like yeah, am I? I'm probably the one at the back of the cave hiding from the rain. <laughs> I don't like the cold. I'm definitely <laughs> with you, Beth. I'm definitely with you at the back. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, it was just, yeah. I just thought this is this is mind blowing to me. So then, yeah, this yeah. whole idea of it playing with this idea of holy land and Israel and Palestine, kind of, mm. where are we? And who who is in control and who has power? Um, yeah, I was really also struck, um, and I think. 
I was welcome from a, a kind of what I describe as kind of evangelical charismatic background, a kind of um, fairly classic evangelical charismatic background. I think the idea that you lay down your life as this kind of um, big call to being what it is to be a follower of Jesus. You lay down your life, you, you die with Christ. And we sort of say after us, and we raised in glory, you know, and baptisms by new life. And da, da, da. But kind of really the emphasis is on quite quite a lot on the self-sacrificial mm. imagery of that. Yes. And I was really struck by this idea that, he, that Jesus also says, um, you know, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own yes. accord. Yeah. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it up again. Yes. And I thought, ah so the, the mm. point really here is it's about resurrection like we think yeah. of it in terms of yeah I, and mm. the freedom of offering that that is a yeah. self power and I just yeah just kind of interacting mm. with that in a way that I think wasn't really about kind of a kind of forced self-sacrifice yeah. and kind of martyrdom but really much more a kind of um a, a real owning of your own power and even mm. knowing when you can give up power and I just yeah, yeah. It's so important. And I think that that whole question of agency is is the difference between oppression and humility, right? The fact that actually I get to choose where I'm going to sacrifice my energy, my time and anything else for a particular cause or reason, knowing that I can choose not to do that and that's going to be fine, is, is everything about what freedom is. And I think where we sometimes weaponize our theologies of the cross is when we say to people, you know, it's a good, it's a good thing that you are weighed down, oppressed, you know, lay your life, scripture says you should lay your life down, it's a good thing. Mm. Um, but actually, as you've said, you know, taking away someone's life and flourishing is not at all what the cross is about. And But it's so easy to get there because sometimes we, we sit only with the cross pretty much and we glorify the cross and self-sacrifice and we don't, hold that within Jesus's actual capacity and agency in that whole situation where he could have called down 10,000 angels and didn't and he you know talked a good deal with God beforehand about other potential options in Gethsemane and there was all of lots of agency going on there yeah and before Jesus chooses to endure the pain of the cross and I think that's really so crucial that you know we allow people to have agency and we don't decide for them what their sacrifice must be. I just want to amen that. <laughs> just, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, that that is it, isn't it? I think. Um, uh, yeah, you've um, you've come, come you 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 teach this stuff um, and um, form ministers in this, and um, I wonder, people want to carry on exploring these ideas. Is there something you'd want people to go and read next? Is, is something that's shaping your thinking at the moment or hmm. um, or a way you'd land this perhaps, like an illustration or a, a some, maybe a piece of art? You know, it doesn't have to be a, necessarily an academic work. I, d I wonder if there's something you'd like people to be um, grappling with as we think about that kind of these languages around power and political. It's a good question. Um... I mean, immediately what came to mind was Howard Thurman's book, Jesus and the Disinherited. Mm -hmm. And I love this book because um, Howard Thurman is an African-American writer. He's a mystic and theologian, and he writes a, a little book that really is calling us to really attend to Jesus as a, in his historical context, as someone who was, was living in a particular body as a kind of poor Jewish man living under Roman oppression and 
and all the implications of what that means for you know God's choice to actually take up flesh in the form of Jesus, mm-hmm. not in the form of a very powerful member of the elite, but this kind of poor Jewish man, and what that really means for the gospel. And and he kind of, there's a quote which I can't remember off by heart, but he basically is saying, you know, we shouldn't be deceived by the fact that when we think about Christianity today, we often think about huge cathedrals, we have lots of resources and buildings and lots of trained staff and theologians and all of this very, you know, lots of resources and power that we have. And particularly, you know, where I work at in the Church of England, bishops in the House of Laws and establishment and all of that stuff. And he says, you know, we shouldn't be deceived by all of this into thinking that this is what Jesus had in mind when he when he when he called his disciples. Uh, we shouldn't think that this is what Christianity is all about. Mm-hmm. And then it calls us to go back to the kind of basics of this, the way of Jesus and what this really means. And I, I just often think if we kept this more at the centre of our hearts, of, of our thinking, of our preaching, it would really bring us back to something beautiful about the gospel and something that really would be a, a, a message of good news to the world, which has been so seduced by power and domination and greed you know, where, where we as Christians get seduced by these other gods, we betray the gospel and where we resist them and we actually cling to Jesus who thinks it not robbery to kind of lay aside equality with God and take on the form of a servant. I mean, Jesus is just wonderful. If we remember him more, I think we'd do all right. <laughs> in our politics, in our theology, in our preaching, I think we'd do much better if we remember Jesus. I mean... I think you've written the sermon for us this week. Sorry, <laughs> just, Sorry. they're going to all sound the same now. <laughs> honestly, yeah. It's it, isn't it? Um, yeah, Jesus is extraordinary. And uh, I think that's it, isn't it? And I think that compelling love of Jesus is... Mm. Um, we, we miss it sometimes because we try and force panic it on people. Not yeah. sure quite. Yeah, I think I, I think sometimes out of our own fear as the church that we're becoming less relevant or it's post-Christendom, we don't know how to be in the space. And and actually, um, you know, it's 2000 years on, I think, <laughs> and of a world church, a church grows and thrives in places often where um, it has least power. And I think I wonder, I wonder why <laughs> maybe there's something of God in that, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Thank you so much. Um, our time is up, and uh, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to finish today. I could honestly talk this with you for <laughs> another few hours. I just I just want to keep hearing about Jesus from you, which is is ultimately the point, isn't it? Of, of preaching, I want to hear about this. I want to hear about this, um, and you preach Jesus so utterly beautifully. So thank you for your wisdom and your um, your brilliance today. I really, really appreciate it. And I'm sure um, everybody who's tuning in will, will feel that same sense of encouragement and challenge that you have brought us. Um, I, um, yes, I, so I, I guess the rest, the rest of the thing is to say thank you to everybody who's come and listened in today um, and, um, and is watching with us and, and thinking about these texts. And we were praying for you as you prepare your sermons, sermons and we're thinking about being in the political world this week. Um, uh, and yeah, let's go into our pulpits and into our politics with a blessing. May we be anointed with God's spirit as we bring good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives, 
help people to see the world truthfully and let the oppressed go free. Amen. Amen. Thank you.